0: Well good morning. Very special welcome to all of you. My name is Harry Shields. It's great to be with you again and good to have you here to worship with us. Now here's what you've been singing. You've been singing uh here I am, here I stand. My arms open wide. We're basically saying, Lord God, uh, do your work in me this morning. Here's the interesting thing about everything we've been saying this morning. God is already at work. God is at work in your job. God is at work in your marriage. God is at work in your singleness. God is at work in your health or in your sickness. God is in work, at work in absolutely every single thing in your life. And this morning, God wants to speak to you through His Word. So that you will know the kind of person that he wants you to do. So that when you leave this place, he will continue to transform you more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read that little uh, blurb whenever you came in and the bulletin says something about me, uh, you are aware of the fact that I am a teacher uh, I'm identified as an adjunct professor at Moody Theological Seminary. And so one of the things that that means about me is that I have to grade papers. (laughs) Not very long ago, I had a stack of papers that I had to grade, some papers that came to me online. And so I spent several hours one day doing a lot of grading. Uh, and what happened was in the midst of that, I, I grew weary, but I was a little bit obsessive about it. And I kept saying to myself, I'm going to get this done by dinner time tonight. And so I kept working away. And so, finally, I finished, uh, I went online, I posted uh, several grades, and then I went downstairs. And uh, I decided before dinner I was going to do uh, a little bit of channel surfing. I'm sure you do that whenever you're a bit weary. And and so I, I started going through the channels, and I came to one of those retro channels uh, in our community. You know, the kind of channels that they broadcast, uh, programs that uh, existed 30 years ago. And so I was going through to see what was on, and I came across a rebroadcast, a repeat of the old Hill Street Blues series. Uh, Some of you may remember Hill Street Blues. What I remember whenever I uh, watched Hill Street Blues in the past, and whenever I keyed in this specific program, was that it always started out the same way. For example, there was the precinct sergeant, and the Officers who were coming on duty uh, that day, they would come into this debriefing room and, and he would start to tell them everything that was going on in the precinct. He would talk to them about robberies and about muggings and about drug deals that were going down. And then right before he would dismiss them, he would say, now listen to me. He said, be careful because it's dangerous out there. Now, I was also preparing my sermon for today, whenever I was watching that, I thought, you know, uh, that reminds me of something that I need to tell the people at Horizon. I know of a church, church back in the Midwest, and uh, that church uh, has, above all of the exits, uh, a statement that goes something like this. When people are leaving, the statement says, you are now entering your mission field. I thought that's rather catchy. I, I, I like that. So I'm going to make a modest proposal to the people of Horizon here this morning. I would suggest that you have over all of the exits something that says something like this. Be careful. It's dangerous out there. The old sergeant knew something. Because it is a dangerous world out there. You might say, Harry, that's silly. That kind of goes against the kinds of things that we want to do. goes against our mission. But not really. Let me tell you why. When you leave this place, you are entering a dangerous world, especially the world of ideas. And the ideas that you will hear, that you will listen to on a regular basis, run contrary to the truths that you will find in God's Word. For example, you will enter into a world that tells us almost every single day that pleasure is supreme. So what you ought to be doing in your life, you ought to be satisfying your pleasures, you ought to be seeking to satisfy your pleasures, and whatever it will take for you to do that, go ahead and do it. Pleasure is supreme. Uh, there's another idea that says, um, listen, you have feelings, and your feelings are very strong, and you really ought to give in to your feelings. Uh, don't listen to rational thoughts, rational ideas. Feelings are important, so go with your feelings. Or, if you tune into the likes of uh, talk show hosts like Bill Maher, you might hear a, a statement that says, all religion is foolishness, especially Christianity. And so, if you are giving in to Christianity or the ideas of Christianity, beware, uh, you probably really will not be a mature thinker. Now, here's the thing about all of those ideas. They are well packaged and they are intellectually scintillating. And so we're drawn to them. We, we think, yeah, th- th- this is right. But they are dangerous. They ultimately lead to our personal destruction. So what are we going to do? <laughs> hey, listen, I have absolutely no clout in this place. So I don't know if anyone will buy into putting that statement up there. Be careful because it's dangerous out there. But there's something else that you can do, you can participate in, that will help to care for your soul. And it comes to us from a text that we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to ask you to turn in your copy of the Scriptures, turn on your electronic devices, and find your way to the New Testament book of Titus, Paul's letter to Titus. Last week, one of the things that happened is that uh, Chad kicked off this series in uh, Paul's letter to Titus. And you may remember that uh, he actually uh, used a cartoon format in which uh, he drew different things that helped us to understand what uh, Paul's letter to Titus was all about. It's about leadership, primarily, and how leaders need to function and what we all need to know about the world in which we are living. This morning, we're going to come to verses 5 through 9 of Titus chapter 1. Now, before I read this text, in just a moment, you're going to see it on the screen. Uh, It's important for us to have a little bit of background. For example, when you come to Titus chapter 1, it's important to realize that Paul has completed his Roman imprisonment. What that means is that he completed a First missionary journey, a second missionary journey, a third missionary journey. He, he was cast into prison, was in that prison for a long period of time, and then he's released. We do not have a great deal of information as to what Paul did after his release. The book of Acts is complete at this point in time. But we have enough to know that the Apostle Paul continued what he had been doing throughout the course of his ministry, throughout the course of his adult life. He went about proclaiming the gospel, and he went about uh, making sure uh, that churches were built up. And one of the places he apparently returned to or went to was the island of Crete. If you were to look at a modern-day map, you would look at Turkey, go directly south from Turkey, and you would come to the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, and you would find this uh, small island of Crete. So Paul went there. And while he was there, he preached again. He preached the gospel. whenever people come to faith after hearing the gospel, not only that, churches started to grow. Churches started to form. And so Paul kept moving on, but one of the things that he was concerned about was the well-being of those churches. And so he said to one of his companions, listen, you stay back there in Crete, and you make sure that you are caring for these individuals. Now, here's the other thing that was happening. As those churches started to grow, Paul was going to uh, other places in the Roman world at that period of time. And it isn't very long until false teachers, false ideas started to enter into the church. If you were to take a glance at verses 10 through 14 of Titus chapter 1, you would find a phrase in which Paul says these false teachers are coming in. They're basically adding to the gospel And they are upsetting whole households, meaning by that they're starting to confuse people, people who heard the gospel. Uh, Time out here for just a moment. It's important for us to also review what the gospel is all about. Uh, You probably know the gospel is good news. Uh, Could I put it in in this uh, uh, frame of reference? The gospel is both bad news and good news. Here's what I mean by that. It's bad news in this regard. The bad news is that every single individual is born into this world as a spiritual rebel against God. Now I know you're going to show me pictures of your grandson or your granddaughter and you're going to tell me, this is the most beautiful little boy in the entire world. I can't believe he or she would ever sin. Give them a a year or two and you'll find out what will happen. They're like all of us. They're they're spiritual rebels. And the Bible says that because we enter into this world as spiritual rebels, we come under what the Bible refers to as the wrath of God. That's the bad news. Now here's the good news. The good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. Perfect God, perfect man at the same time. Jesus had his mission to ultimately go to the cross to take upon himself the wrath of God. So that by faith in the finished work of Jesus alone, we can have the forgiveness of sins. We can have a brand new life and we can have the promise of eternal life as well. That's the good news. That's the gospel. Now, here's what was happening in Crete. These false teachers, these people peddling False ideas were coming into the church, upsetting whole households, and they were attaching things onto the gospel. That is, it's faith in Jesus plus following some ritual. Faith in Jesus plus going back to the Old Testament law and the rituals of the law. And that was confusing individuals. So Paul says, Titus, you need to stay there in Crete, and you need to make sure that these people understand what truth is all about. Now with that long background in mind. Would you look on the screen, and would you make note of what Paul says in verses 5 through 9? You can follow along as I read. For this reason, Paul says, I left you in Crete that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. If a man is blameless, the husband of one wife, Having faithful children, not accused of dissipation or insubordination. For a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self willed, not quick tempered, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but hospitable, a lover of what is good, sober minded, just, holy, self controlled, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, both to exhort and convict those who contradict. Now, that's what Paul was saying. Now, if you remember anything about this message this morning, this is what you will want to remember. But before I tell you, before you see it on the screen, let me tell you what my concern is. My concern is that some of you, after reading this passage, maybe even going back and reading it a second time, and listening to some of the things that I have to say, you're going to say... This is not for me. <laughs> it's for a minority of people in the church, but this is not for me. Don't make that mistake. Don't be deceived into thinking that. This text is for you. This text is for me, even though I'm visiting your church this morning. And this text is for every single follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if you remember anything, this is what you'll want to write down. This is what you want to remember. You want to remember that in order to protect your soul, in order to care for your soul, your church needs competent spiritual shepherds. Your church is going to need individuals who are qualified spiritual leaders within the congregation. Now that's what God wants you to remember this morning. Uh, Now, I want to unpack that for just a little bit, and the way we're going to do it is by examining it from the vantage point of three questions, okay? You're going to see the questions come up, and then what I'm going to try to do initially is to answer it with a single word, and then we'll begin to expand on that word to see what it means. But what you want to remember is that whenever you go out into the world, this dangerous world in which we're living, that your church is going to be able to help you by making sure that there are competent, spiritual shepherds who have been appointed to watch over your souls. Okay? Here's the first question. The first question is, why in the world does a church need competent, spiritual leadership? One word answer. Default. Default. In other words, We default to certain dangers, what I could call the problem of defaulting. Now, you know about defaulting. If you have a computer, I wouldn't be surprised if every person in this uh, auditorium today has a computer. Now, here's what happens. You might be sitting at your desk and you're working at your computer, and uh, in fact, you're spending quite a bit of time doing some things, and finally you say, you know, I, I need a cup of coffee right now. And so you go to the kitchen and you fix a cup of coffee and you might talk to your spouse at that point in time. You might do something else, might check the mail. Several minutes later, you go back to your computer and here's what's happening. There is a blank screen on that computer. It's because it has defaulted. It has defaulted into sleep mode. That's what machines do. That's what computers do. They default. Here's something else. There are muscles in your body that you don't even know are in your body. And sometimes if you don't use those muscles, those muscles will default to weakness. Uh, Try this on for size. Today, I understand it's going to be a beautiful day. And uh, you might decide um, after lunch that you're going to do some work outside. You're, you're going to put some flowers in that uh, flower garden that's vacant right now. And so you get a shovel, you get a hoe, and you go out start digging things up. You begin to hoe the dirt and break up the clumps of soil and all of that. In fact, you, you go and you, and, and you get some plants. You come back, you break up the dirt a little bit more, and you get down on your knees, and you're doing a lot of different things. 7 p.m. tonight. Your back is starting to be... What's actually happening, there are muscles that are crying out to you and say, You didn't know I was here. You haven't used me in months. (laughs) You see, what happens, our, our, our muscles default to weakness if we do not use them. Now, what happens in the church? Why in the world do we need competent, qualified, spiritual shepherds? Two primary reasons. Here's the first one. You'll see it in verse 5. It says this For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking. Now, Paul doesn't elaborate on what those things were that were lacking, but, but apparently Titus knew. And they were probably things that had to be strengthened. It could be the mission of the church. It could be the very strategies that Paul and Titus talked about that they were going to use there in Crete. And he's basically saying to them, you make sure that those things are put in order. Because if you don't, here's what will happen. It will default to disintegration. If leaders aren't watching the mission of the church, if they're not watching the plans of the church, it's only a matter of time until a church begins to spiral downward. It begins to decay. It defaults towards disintegration. Second reason why we need spiritual leaders, we see it at the end of verse 5. He says, uh, to set in order the things that are lacking, and notice this phrase, and appoint elders in every city as I commanded you. Now, we don't see the reason right away, but I alluded to this earlier. If you were to read ahead to verses 10 through 14, Paul would say, these false teachers are going to come in. In fact, he starts verse 10 with the word for or, or because of this, or here's the reason, he's saying. You need to have these leaders because these false teachers are coming along and they're going to be there to keep you from defaulting into deception. These qualified leaders are going to proclaim the truth. They're going to teach people the truth along the way so that deception doesn't begin to take over. So listen to what I'm saying. In order to protect your soul, your church, every church needs to have qualified, godly, competent spiritual leaders. Why do we need them? Problem of defaulting. Uh, they're there to guard us against defaulting into disintegration, they're, they're there to guard us against defaulting into deception. Now, that leads to a second question that we need to ask. Second question is um, who should these competent, Qualified spiritual leaders be? Before I answer that question in a word, uh, we probably should ask another question related to who, and that is who does the appointing? <laughs> uh, we don't know exactly because the Bible doesn't tell us, both in a parallel passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this one in Titus chapter 1. Uh, Paul doesn't really say, now, Titus, this is the way you're going to do it. We don't know. If Titus said, okay, I'm going to form a committee, kind of an appointment committee, a selection committee, we don't know if he did that. What we do know is that Paul, who was an apostle, extended apostolic authority to Titus, and he said, Titus, this is what you need to do. So down through history, it's been done in a variety of different ways. So uh, sometimes uh, someone will come in, maybe a church planter, someone like Titus, who will say, uh, after a period of time, I've been looking at these individuals, they're going to work with me, we're going to function in the plurality, and so these are the individuals who are going to function as elders in our church. Sometimes a denomination will do it, if a church belongs to a denomination. A group of individuals will come in, and and they'll identify uh, leaders within the church. Sometimes a mother church that plants a church in another locale will actually say, after a period of time, you need elders uh, we have identified these individuals as elders. What I'm trying to say is that God has given us the freedom to identify the, the, these elders. What we do know is that we have a criteria identified for us in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and, and also in First Timothy uh, chapter 3. Now, uh, we don't know how it's uh, happened, but, but what about the other side of the who? Who should function as a spiritual leader, as a spiritual elder, as an overseer that Paul's talking about here? And here's the word you want to remember. The word is blameless. Would you notice that that word appears in verse 6? If a man is blameless, it appears again in verse 7. For a bishop, an overseer, that means an elder, must be blameless. Interesting word. Blameless means that no No charge can be attached. No charge will stick against this individual. Someone can level the charges, but they won't stick. Several years ago, when Ronald Reagan was the president of the United States, uh, uh, well into his presidency, there were a lot of people who started to attack him. And yet, with all of the attacks, all of the charges that were leveled, none of the charges seemed to, to, to stick. And they called him the Teflon President. It's because the charges become just like a Teflon uh, pan. They they, they would kind of fall away. They they wouldn't stick. That's basically what Paul is saying here. A person who is blameless is an individual uh, in which you can level the charges, you can make certain accusations, but with the passing of time, those accusations just will not stick. Now, time out here for just a moment. As we look at some of the things that Paul says about being blameless, would you notice that he starts in verse 6, he says, if a man is blameless, and he goes on, and he seems to give descriptors for men. Now, I want to be careful here. As you know, I'm a visitor. (laughs) So I can say certain things and I can walk out and you won't see me for a while again. I suppose I could get away with it. Here's what I want to say. It seems as though, it seems as though, In the New Testament, there are a couple of offices. One of those offices was the office of elder, bishop, overseer, the way it's described here. And it was that office that seemed to be relegated for men. For men. Now, some of you are going to say, are you saying that women cannot lead? No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that at all. Women can lead. Women have led in the past. Women have had prominent roles in the church, obviously prominent roles in the culture at large. And we should thank God for the role of women. It seems, however, when it comes to this role of being an elder, this office, Paul is saying uh, that this should be an individual, it should be a male. Now, who should that individual be? Should blameless, be blameless. Now, please follow along with what. Paul is saying here, because he's saying they should be blameless in three different areas. Please notice what he says. He starts off and he says, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God. Then notice there is a contrast in verse 8. The conjunction but is there. What he's saying is that in verse 7, here are negative things that a prospective elder should not be. Verse 8, here are some positive things, and every elder should somehow follow along with this criteria. It should be like this. So, so let's start. Should be blameless in what area? First off, an elder should be blameless in his family life. Verse 6 again, if a man is blameless, the husband of one wife. But what does he mean by that? It literally it means a one A woman man. It means that this individual is faithful to the wife that he has at this point in time. Could be a widower who's remarried along the way. It's possible that could be that one has been married before and for a variety of different reasons has now entered into a new relationship. God has gotten a hold of this person's life. This person is walking with God along the way and he is faithful to his spouse. He's blameless. So with respect to his marriage, he's a blameless individual faithful to the one that God has given to him. But not only in that regard, look also with respect to his family life, he is one who has faithful children not accused of dissipation or insubordination. Uh, not liable to wildness. Uh, they do not have a, a bad reputation. Now hold on at this point. It does not necessarily mean... That this prospective elder's children have to be Christians. The reason I say that is no parent has a control over what their children are ultimately going to do in the spiritual realm. They, they make decisions that, that we simply cannot control. However, we can instruct them so that they follow certain guidelines uh, in culture and, and they are faithful. They are obedient to the instructions that their parents have given to them. So this prospective elder should be blameless in his family life. That's not the only thing. Second thing is, he should be blameless in his interpersonal life. Here's why I say that. Look at verse 7 again. As a steward of God, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, that is not an angry individual, not given to wine, it means not addicted to wine, uh, not violent, that means not a bully, not greedy for money. Should not be any of these five things. Now look at the positive things in verse 8, but hospitable. Literally, it means a lover of strangers. He welcomes people into his household, welcomes people into the church. A lover of what is good, the good things in culture and society, he's drawn to those things. Sober minded, just, sees things in terms of of being fair, holy, uh, sees himself as set apart for God's purposes, self-controlled in everything that he does. So what Paul's saying here is that this individual should be blameless in terms of interpersonal relationships. People feel comfortable around him. So he's blameless in terms of his family life, blameless in in terms of uh, his interpersonal life. Then notice a third area. He should also be blameless in terms of his Spiritual life. Isn't it interesting that Paul says in verse 9, holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. A very expressive term. It says holding fast. means by that, when it comes to his life, this individual is holding on to the Scripture. He's anchored his life to the Word of God. So that he sees truth in the Word of God. He's guided by the Word of God. He's motivated by the Word of God. Uh, everything that he does comes, his worldview is shaped by the truth of Scripture. So he's blameless with, with respect to his spiritual life. Now, here's the thing. Some of you at this point are going to look and say, I look at the criteria, verse 7, uh, no, I'm not doing so well, so we check that off. We come to verse 8, no, I'm not doing so much. And then you say, you know, you've got to be a perfect individual in order to be an elder. Not so. That's not what the scripture is saying. What it's saying is that this individual needs to be the kind of person who is progressing in his spiritual life. And as people have watched him over a long period of time, they look at him and say, this individual is growing in his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. He represents Jesus well. Now, what I told you at the beginning is in order... To guard your soul, to protect your soul, your church needs godly, spiritual, qualified shepherds, qualified leaders. Uh, Why do we need them? Because we have this problem of defaulting, defaulting to degeneration, defaulting to deception. And who are those individuals going to be? Individuals who are blameless in terms of their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that leads to a a third question, and probably a very important one. And that third question goes like this. What will a spiritual shepherd, what will an elder, an overseer, what will they do in the church that will benefit us? I want you to notice a couple of phrases. Look again at verse 7. It says, for a bishop must be blameless, notice the next phrase, as a steward of God. You might have a translation that says, as an administrator of God. A caretaker of the things of God. That's what an elder does. He is a caretaker of the things of God. primarily the church. And the church is made up of people. It's not a building necessarily. It is people. And so uh, this elder is going to be a steward, an administrator, a caretaker uh, of the people of God. But he's going to do something else. Drop down to verse 9 again. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Now, notice the next phrases, that he may be able by sound doctrine, first of all, to exhort people. That means that there are people in the congregation who are discouraged. They're wondering whether they should continue in the faith. They wonder whether or not they should be obedient. And the elder comes along and he encourages them towards obedience in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. But notice the other thing. It says, and convict those who contradict Uh, another translation says to refute those who are propagating false doctrine it's the kind of person who comes along and they hear the things that a person like bill maher says and and comes to the church and says now wait a minute wait a minute that's not necessarily true here is the truth of god listen to it again so an elder comes along and one of the things he does he protects he protects the people of god as you take this word, I, I I told you earlier that one of my concerns is you're going to listen and you're going to say, it doesn't apply to me. It applies to some people who are on the board of the church, who are designated as elders of the church, but it doesn't apply to me. But here's the way I want you to look at this text. It could apply to you. could apply to you. And one of the things that God wants you to do is to look at this text and to say, God, are you calling me? possibly to be an elder and so with arms open wide as we sang several moments ago you say lord do your good work in me if this is what you want from me this is what i will do the second thing that you can do is that you can look at the criteria in verses seven and eight and kind of use it as a checklist and say lord uh, as i read through this Reveal to me, is there any area right now where I'm falling down? Do I have a quick temper? Am I a bit of a bully? Am I not very hospitable? Lord, do you want to change that in my life? And if the Spirit of God reveals that to you, then you come along and you say, I'm going to change in this area. Lord Jesus, show me how to change. Here's the third thing you could do. Are you praying... For the leaders of this church, men and women, are you praying for them? you pray for them on a regular basis? You may not realize this, but they are under attack and they need your prayers more than you will ever know. Pray for them on a regular basis. Lee Ekloth is a pastor back on the north side of Chicago. And he tells about how he grew up in Britain, South Dakota. He said back in the uh, 40s and 50s in Britain, South Dakota, uh, storms would come through, sometimes heavy blizzards, and they would come so quickly that the roads would be uh, snowed, shot uh, very, very quickly, and buses couldn't go through. And so he said the school district had some very ingenious ways of doing things, and they designated certain homes within Britain, South Dakota, where children after school, they couldn't get on the bus, couldn't get to their homes, and so they would go to their, the homes in the community and they would stay there overnight until the roads became passable again. And Nikolov said uh, last summer, he was back in Britain, South Dakota, and he met one of his classmates. And they started talking about old times, reflecting on different things. And uh, the classmate said, uh, you know, Lee, he said, what I remember, he said, we had some bad storms. And he said, I always went to your home. He said, do you know what, Lee? He said, your home was a... Storm home. Liakloff says every church should be a storm home. Horizon Community Church is a storm home where you can come and you can learn truth, the equipping services, the exploring services, and God will prepare you to be everything that He wants you to be. And He might even want some of you to be elders. Heavenly Father, take this word, sow it deep into the soils of our souls, and equip us to be the men and women that you want us to be. And we'll give you the glory ahead of time as we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're new to Horizon, uh, you can stop by the hearth room right outside these doors. There'll be people there who would answer any of your questions. would love to pray for you and help you in any way that, uh, that they can. God bless you and have a great day.